Lord, and grant me the grace that I need to preach your word plainly so that your people might be edified. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name, the Son of God. Amen. Well, last week we spoke about the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I pointed out that we have to diligently teach the next generation, according to that commandment, what they need to learn. They need the spiritual and intellectual ammunition that they need in any age. Bear in mind that those words from the great Shema were written 3,200 years ago. God saw fit through Moses to implore them, to command them that the next generation needed to be taught. People needed to hear that message 500 years before Christ, 500 years after Christ, 1,000 years after Christ, and now 2,000 years after Christ. We need to hear the same message. And as we move into the book of Ephesians for this year's main preaching series, it's important for us to get some background on Ephesus. It's a wasteland in Turkey now. You can go there. You can see it as a tourist site. But it has been a long, long time since a decent sermon has been preached from First Presbyterian, First Baptist, First Methodist, First whatever in Ephesus. So the book of Revelation is where we'll be today. Revelation chapter 2. Just listen to these words. The risen Christ is speaking to the Apostle John in a vision. And he commands John to speak and write these letters, say these letters to the angel of the seven churches with a specific message. And one of those churches is Ephesus. They're all in what we call Asia Minor. Basically just think of modern day Turkey. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The background to this text, the background to any of the texts in this Bible, is what verse? Where do you go? What is the skeleton key to unlock the entire scriptures? 
I haven't told you that in a while. I haven't, I haven't quizzed you on that in a while. It's Genesis 3. I heard of 15. Genesis 3 talks about the fall of mankind through Adam's sin. Adam's sin is forensically given to us. That means his guilt is passed on to us. Not physically, not as a substance, just as a judicial verdict. Think of it this way. If in the secular courts, a family was kicked out of their home for one reason or another, legally, they didn't pay their mortgage for a year, two years, something crazy like that, and they are legally evicted from the house, okay? Because of the father's Foolish financial decisions. Well, the children can't walk back in there, can they? The children suffer because of the father's sins. Because of the forensic judgment of the court. You're evicted. That is what's occurred in the court of God. Adam sinned. The guilt he incurred is passed down to us through the line of the father. Okay? Forensically, That's a fancy word for saying legally. It's not passed down physically. Sin is not a substance. You can't, you can't reach out and touch it. Something is evil because God says it's evil. That's it and that's all. God says what is evil. God says what is good. Because of his nature, he is pure. He is just. He is glorious. He is holiest. He is absolutely immortal. Invisible, God only wise. That is why Joseph is taken completely out of the equation in Jesus' birth. You know, we just finished um, singing all of those Christmas carols and thinking about Jesus' birth. Have you ever wondered why Joseph got left out of it? You see, Jesus was born, as we just confessed, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. One very simple reason for that. Joseph is out of the equation. The guilty verdict of Adam's sin cannot be passed down now to the human Jesus who gets his body directly from Mary. So he's born without original sin. And he remains sinless the rest of his life. Now the first is a miracle. The second, in my view, is even more of a miracle. To remain sinless your entire life is impossible for all of us. That is why we need His blood. And when Adam fell, the curse was given. And the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is what all of the Bible is about. This is what all of history is about. These are the two verses, particularly verse 15, that you need to understand everything that happens in this world. The spiritual war. And the invisible realms between the seed of the serpent, those who are not chosen in Christ, and the seed of the woman, that's us. That's Christians. 
that is our children. That is the background. Now the formula of these letters is very simple. The church is given a fourfold responsibility. They're to listen, believe, repent, and overcome. Guess what? The same thing for us. You listen to God's words, then you have to believe them. Then you repent of the sin, because you realize that you haven't done what God has commanded. And then you overcome evil, and that's the key. Overcoming evil. This is the spiritual battle. And it's really not just about overcoming the evil that you personally do, although that is the place to start. This is talking about the church overcoming the forces of the evil one. An individual congregation such as ourselves, a group of churches such as Ascension Presbytery, an entire denomination like the Presbyterian Church in America, and all churches throughout the world, irrespective of denomination, if they have not turned into what the book of Revelation calls a synagogue of Satan, where doctrine is not taught, they are in this fight. Are you in this fight? It's hard, isn't it? It's brutal. Make no, make no mistake about it. Being a Christian has never been easy. Being a covenantal believer has never been easy. If it was easy, then our ancestors, the Jews of old, would not have rejected the Messiah. You know, when Jesus was talking in that passage from Luke, the Pharisees were right there, and he was... You really have to remember that when he's going on those little parables, you have to try and remember who the original audience was. And almost always, it's a scribe, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or one of all three. They were lovers of money. So he tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where we get direct confirmation of the doctrine of eternal hell, which is not fun for me to even say much less to preach. But it's there, and it's true. And if you don't overcome, and the first thing that happens is you have to listen. Have you heard the message of Christ? And he is the only way to the Father. And have you believed in that? Have you believed in Him? Have you placed all your trust in Him? I mean, every single ounce of your soul is in His hands. In his works, not your own. That's the glorious message of salvation. Who would not want that offer? Freedom to eat in paradise. But yet in that parable, Abraham tells the rich man, they have Moses and the prophets, they don't believe them. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe. Guess what? Someone did rise from the dead. And it wasn't Lazarus. Poor old Lazarus. Different Lazarus. He died again. You know, he got reanimated and he died again. Lazarus got two funerals. The brother of Mary and Martha. Jesus rose... And he never went back into that tomb. He rose and then he ascended upon high and he's ruling gloriously now, directing his church to overcome the forces of evil. So we need to listen, 
When you hear the message, we need to believe it, the content of it. Then we need to repent of our deeds and overcome that which is in our way. There's a lot of symbolic language here. I'm not going to labor with you about what all of it means. Because that's not the point of the passage. Oh, what are the lampstands? I could tell you, but it's, it's, it's complicated. and It's not even germane. I will tell you who the angel is. The angel is most likely the pastor of the church. Now, when we say he's an angel, she's an angel, we think sweet, nice, lovable, cuddly. The word angelos simply means messenger. That's what it means. So the next time you say, oh, grandma is an angel, just remember, you're calling her a messenger. You're better off saying she's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. She's lovable. We use the term angel in a fairly imprecise manner. The pastor of the church is the primary messenger of that church. My duty as a pastor is very simple. To preach God's message from the pulpit, Sunday school, and home visits... And if a pastor preaches that message faithfully, then he's done his duty. A pastor's duties are varied. But they revolve around the word, the administration of the sacraments, and prayer. Yes, sadly in our day and age, I do have to deal with computers. And ink. What is it about me and ink? I think ink just doesn't like me. The machines work fine until I hit that print button. Has that ever happened to you? It's really frustrating when five copies come out and you want 40. And then you get nothing but weird-looking scribbles. Chance to overcome the evil, right? Chance to not get angry. How do you think your angel did today? Actually, I didn't do half bad. Better than I've done in the past. But it really is just ink and paper and printer, right? I can buy ink and print it out next week and nothing's going to get harmed. You see, what the message is for the church of Ephesus is to remember the basics. Think of how many things we get frustrated with that really, at the end of our lives, are not going to add up to anything whatsoever. You know what? Forget about it at the end of your life. What things did you get worked up about this week that at the end of the week you realized didn't even matter for this week? That's what it's talking about, your first love. The church of Ephesus had many, many advantages. Here's some of the people that preached them. The Apostle Paul. Right away, we have a high level of accountability. The first main pastor of the church at Ephesus 
was Paul's protege, Timothy, who wrote first and second Timothy in our Bibles. And Christian tradition teaches us that the Apostle John spent time there as well. Even if that tradition is wrong, having Paul and Timothy in your pulpits is high enough. And this book, this letter written to Ephesus, at the most, is only 60 years after Christ rose from the dead, and possibly, possibly less than 40. So between 40 and 60 years after Christ rose from the dead, and, and, and Timothy and Paul had preached, they had already forgotten their first love. That's how easy it is to slip in the basics. You just forget what's important. And this is the first letter to any of the seven churches. And what's sad, yet true, is that you can read the letters to the seven churches and see in any church you go to aspects of each one. Because even though these are real churches, they were real churches. Excuse me. They are meant to be universal symbols to us who come afterwards and we can see it. How about you? How about us? How about me? That first love. Those of you who came to Christ as an adult, you might have been raised in the church, but it didn't make much sense. When you came to Christ, what did it feel like? Now, those of you who came to Christ at a very early age, you might be thinking, oh, well, yeah, I, I didn't have that. That's fine. Believe me, that's actually better. You saved yourself 20, 30 years of grief and aggravation. But those who came, those of you who came to Christ as adults, do you remember what it felt like? That feeling of freedom. You're saved from sin. The moment you realize, even you young people who are growing up in the church, the moment it really dawns on you that, wow, the message is true. I believe it. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. My debts are wiped clean. And wiped clean doesn't even begin to describe it. They're erased. They're blotted out. What should that do to us? Shouldn't that excite us? Shouldn't it put a little bit of a bounce in our spirits? It should. Do you know why it doesn't? Because we forget it. We forget what's really important because we get tied up and people have always gotten tied up. And in the ancient world, we think we have it hard. In the ancient world, they had it harder. They had it harder 2,000 years ago. They didn't have any of the conveniences we have. None of it. I can't imagine. Even in the early 1800s, I can't imagine preaching here in this building in 1842 or 1843 when it was first built. You know what? It was colder in here than it is today. And it was really hot during the summer. And you go back to the Middle Ages, early parts of our republic, 
to New England, the people would sometimes, the communion bread would be frozen. The communion bread's not frozen. I guarantee you that. They had it harder. But we face the same challenges. You see, for one reason or another, God has allowed us to be born at a time when we have a lot of modern conveniences, but the message is still the same. Remember your first love. I could ask you adults, you know, if you've uh, ever been in love before you were married. But that kind of love is not what this passage is talking about. But when you do love somebody in this world, and it doesn't go right, it crushes you. It kills your spirit, does it not? And sometimes you want to forget that first love. You want to. You want to erase the memory of the pain. Well, with this, it's quite the opposite. You see, if we forget this first love, this foundational Christian love, and it's talking about the love that we have for God, but it's also talking about our remembrance that the love God has for us. That's the real key. The key to remembering, the key to overcoming, is remembering the love that God has for you. That's what's essential. Is it important that we listen, believe, repent, and obey? Yes, absolutely, and overcome the evil one. But you can't do that if you don't realize that God has sent His only begotten Son on the world, and that's whoever believeth on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize the love that God has for you? Do you realize the love that Christ has for you? He died a brutal death for you. He lived an incredibly hard life so that that death would be effective in bringing you to salvation. I can assert faithfully that every moment of his day was a chance for the evil one to ruin him. And he never won That psalm that we read, the refrain, Why my foes say, where is your God? I said it last week. Your God is right with you every step you go. But when Christ was on that cross, God was nowhere to be found. He was absent. He left the scene intentionally. He punished his son. The book of Isaiah said that it pleased the Father to crush him. That's a crazy message, isn't it? To crush your own son for us? Yes, the ways of God are not our ways. They're told that they've done all these great things. Nevertheless, oh, that nevertheless is gigantic. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The first love 
is that essential love for God that is based upon remembering that he first loved us. Remember. Remember. How often do we have to hear that? Remember, 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 therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand. Well, guess what? Eventually, eventually, God removed this church. Now, I'm not being too hard on them. Very few churches last 2,000 years. The fact that our church has lasted more than 200 is a testament to God's grace and wonder. There are many churches in Europe now who are pastored by beautiful, godly men. And guess what? They're museums now. You can go to Strasbourg, France. One of the highlights of my trip to Europe, the only trip, was Strasbourg, France. Yeah, I liked Paris, but Strasbourg. You want to know why? Because a guy named Martin Busser preached there. And in a very real way, you know what his role was? He was John Calvin's tutor. Wanted to see his church. Guess what? This building is more crowded this Sunday morning than that church is. And listen, I'm no Martin Boozer. This is a brilliant guy. The church is empty. There's red ropes like a, like a nightclub, like a museum. You pay a toll and you, you kind of go in and you look around and you realize, wow, Martin Booster walked here. Calvin might have walked here. Wow, no one's going to walk here next Sunday. It can happen. This is the warning. He who has to an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Do you have that? Do you have that? Trust in Christ. Believe in him with all of your heart. He is your only hope in this life or the next. And if you've wandered a little bit away from him, I'm not going to say it's okay, but you're in good company. Everyone you ever encounter has wandered from him in one way or another. Every single human being. The only man who never walked away from God is Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man. Let us remember that and let us repent and regain our thirst love. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us because we are prone to wander. Help us to regain that first love. And if some of us haven't ever had that first love, then I ask that you would give it to us. Right now, even as I speak. In Jesus' holy name, amen.